0: As CEO, you have to have a split personality. It's difficult to talk about it with others. So, you know, you don't have the spouse, you don't have your board, you know, you don't have the executive team. So then the question is, you know, who is it that he or she can talk with? And that's what creates this sort of uh, loneliness. And so one of the things that we recommend for every company and that the company should pay for is get the CEO, get a CEO coach. That's someone you can just talk to and uh, just discuss these things.
1: Hi and welcome to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SAS Talk. I'm Irina Jambazova, head of content here at SAS Talk and producer of the show. I'm giving Alex Thuma a break this week as he's busy taking over the keys for Brazil's SaaS Forum, which we will turn into SaaS Talk LATAM on April 23rd and 24th, 2019 in Sao Paulo. You can read details about this on the blog, which I'll link to the description here. This week on the podcast, we're bringing you another live recording from SaaS Talk 18, this time with Te Heenam, co-founding managing director of Storm Ventures. We talk about his book Survival to Thrive, a guidebook for building enterprise companies and leaders, which he co-authored with Bob Tinker. The book combines Teehi's perspective as a VC and board member and Bob's perspective as a founder and CEO, and aims to provide a guidance to founders who want to grow. The book, split into two parts, focuses on the frameworks surrounding successful growth. In particular, what Tehi and Bob called the search for go-to-market fit, and the more personal challenges associated with growing a company, namely the change in responsibilities that the CEO and VPs will undergo and the loneliness that every CEO inevitably will have to face and how to counteract that. In my conversation with him, we spoke mostly about the first part of the book and explored how companies and founders should approach the search for go-to-market fit. But in the end, we also talk about the change management aspect of things. Listen on to hear what go-to-market fit means. To have
0: uh, go-to-market fit, what that means is that the company has predictable, repeatable, and scalable growth. It's not just one, but all three. And so uh, what's important is, is to move from what we see early on, where there's a lot of founder-led selling, is, we call it founder-hero selling, or you sell based on a lot of relationship. And so how do you expand beyond that to something that's repeatable, predictable, and scalable?
1: What is one thing a company can do to find the right go-to-market fit?
0: The first is is that it has to line up with an urgent wave And what that means is that on one hand uh, you're solving an urgent pain which answers the question why should a customer buy now, why today and not six months from now. And combined with uh, the wave part is why you'll be important to the customer in the future. It's not like a band-aid that they use and throw away, but it's all some sort of aspirational goal of the the customer.
1: What are the signs that the go-to-market fit includes? An effective wow moment. Many
0: times the wows are not the things that the engineers or the product people are most proud of. It could be the simplest of things, but it's, it will causes the customer to like lean forward to start asking questions. You know, you can just tell when someone is like really engaged. But if you see that, then you have something that's probably a wow moment.
1: There, he was kind enough to give us a few physical copies of Survival to Thrive, which we would like to give to you, our devoted listeners of the show send us a message to podcast at sastalk.com that's p-o-d-c-a-s-t at sastalk.com. telling us what are some of your greatest challenges as a SaaS founder and which are your favorite episodes of the show that have somehow helped you address those and we'll mail you a copy of the book now on with the show Coming live to you from SAS Talk 18, we have another episode of the SAS Revolution Show. Uh, I have with me Tei Hee um, managing partner of Storm Ventures. Welcome to the SAS Revolution Show.
0: Thank you. I really uh, I appreciate uh, coming and I've been enjoying the show.
1: Perfect, thank you. Um, so you're sitting across from me after speaking live on the scale stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but for listeners who didn't have a chance to be here, uh, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what, what what's your story, as we like to say in Ireland?
0: Sure, uh, I'm a, f- a founding partner at Storm Ventures, and uh, we're uh, an early stage uh, uh, enterprise software company based in Silicon Valley. We manage five funds. Uh, for a total of $800 million. And uh, uh, during the last 18 years, I've been investing in a lot of uh, B2B software companies during this process.
1: So you've you've seen a few companies here and there.
0: (laughs) Invested in quite a few, yes.
1: Perfect. What would be some of the companies that uh, some of our listeners may have heard of?
0: Sure. Uh, I was on the board of Marketo for 10 years. Uh, I was the founding CEO of a company we incubated called Airspace. We sold to Cisco for $450 million. Uh, Early investor in EchoSign that we invested to, uh, exited to Adobe, and currently involved in companies like uh, Copper, TalkDesk, and, and so forth.
1: Incredible roster of of companies. So the topic of your talk today was survival to thrival, the enterprise startup guide. And you actually are the co-author of a book uh, pretty much by the same name. And um, I like how you label it. And I'm going to read this out so I don't mess it up a mind meld of three-time entrepreneur, a long-time venture capitalist, and other enterprise entrepreneurs that demystifies building enterprise startups. And the three-time entrepreneur in this is your co-author, Bob Tinker. Tell us a little bit about how the book came about. What was the inspiration behind it? Sure. Um, So
0: Bob and I have been working together for over 15 years. We worked together on airspace and mobile iron. Um, And so we've gotten to know each other very well, and uh, during this time period now, a lot of people come to me for advice about startups, come to Bob for advice, and we thought it will be much better if we provided a a combined response, uh, combining sort of a founder-CEO perspective with a VC board member perspective, and also our personalities, that Bob is very action-oriented. He wants the punchline. And in my case, I was an applied math major, so I like you know, models and frameworks and that kind of stuff. So it, it's been a journey to sort of synthesize two thoughts into one view.
1: Brilliant. And um, what was some of the ideas that it was really important for both of you to come come across to to sail across to to um entrepreneurs that you were kind of having that sense that they weren't really following, especially when it comes to growing startups that are focusing on the enterprise?
0: Well, what we wanted to do was uh, um, convey three things. Um, The first thing that we felt was we wanted entrepreneurs uh, at all stages to understand that they're not alone that uh, other people um, at all stages are sort of facing these issues, especially for CEOs, because a lot of times CEOs have no one to talk to, and there's a natural tendency to think like the problem is me. And so what, by doing this, I think a lot of CEOs have come and said, it's just the fact that other people are facing it just makes them feel better. So that, that was the first thing that was important uh, that people feel is that feeling of just not being alone. The, the second thing that we wanted to do, and this goes back to actually Bob and his personalities. No, he likes punchlines, so we wanted to deliver things that can provide immediate value at all different stages. So we try to provide very practical advice um, for, for the company in each situation. And then the third thing, uh, and this was more for me, is uh, uh, I, I work much better and I find that people work much better if they sort of understand the big picture, can they can understand sort of what's coming down the pipeline and can anticipate something coming at them rather than coming as like a, a shock. And, and so that was important of sort of being able to help people and to see the big picture so they can anticipate.
1: Brilliant, yeah, I I, I love this idea and and you also spoke about this on the stage as well, this idea of one of your greatest challenges is going to be that loneliness, especially as a CEO and and we'll get to that a little bit Um, but, uh, you know, from the other things that you mentioned um, you talk about finding go-to-market fit and Mm -hmm. that actually being far more important than product market fit, which I do believe that, you know, everyone would agree. We kind of tend to sometimes even almost um, over-focus in the space. Um, And that's to you, you know, that go-to-market fit is the key to growth. Can you tell us a little bit about the the thinking there?
0: Sure. So we've just had so many companies that... uh, um, would work hard from founding to product market fit. And uh, what we saw in the startup literature was this sort of really focus on the founding stage and the product market fit stage and sort of lean startup, everything, on how to get to that point. And so the companies would then have product market fit and they have five customers, 10 customers, and, and, and at that point they think that they're poised for success, But what happens is that you're sort of still adding customers at a very slow rate. And then it becomes very frustrating because you have these high expectations, but you're adding customers slowly, you're burning a lot of cash, and you're running out of time and money. And and so it becomes a really high-stress environment, and what unlocks them from this uh, uh, paradox that they're in is if they can find uh, go-to-market fit so then they can accelerate growth.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting what what you mentioned there. And, we,
0: and by the way, we were also surprised that there was like no name for this stage, that their stage, you know, founding stage, product market fit, but nothing about how to unlock and what to even name it. And that's why we named it go to market fit.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love this. And we we had Mark Organ, uh, founder of Influitive a couple of months ago on the podcast, and he was telling this pretty much the exact same story you're saying. Incredible growth reached up to, I would say, 8 million ARR, and all of a sudden, everything just stalled, mm-hmm. And but at the same time, burn rate is something like a million and a half a month. So, you know, the 8 million ARR is, is obviously n- not enough at all, and they had to rethink everything they were doing, and it, it's exactly, it, it felt like they had gone to the product market fit. Yes. And a lot of marketers and CMOs were experimenting with, you know, this idea of advocate marketing platform. But then at some point they're like, okay, I'm going to choose a few uh, a, a few products. And then, you know, there's nothing beyond. And they had to revamp um, uh, a lot of what they do. And it, it had to do with, you know, the market and the customers and who they focus on. So I find this incredibly interesting. And when it goes to go-to-market fit, what, what are some of the ways that... Um, entrepreneurs were there, founders were there, they can kind of start finding it.
0: Yes, so to, to have uh, go-to-market fit, what that means is that the company has predictable, repeatable, and scalable growth. It's not just one, but all three. And so uh, what's important is, is to move from what we see early on, where there's a lot of founder-led selling, is, we call it founder-hero selling, or you sell based on a lot of relationship. And so how do you expand beyond that to something that's repeatable, predictable, and scalable? And to do that, we, we have uh, what we propose uh, is that the company has to do three things. The first is, is that it has to line up with an urgent wave, And what that means is that on one hand, uh, you're solving an urgent pain, which answers the question, why should a customer buy now? Why today and not six months from now? And combined with uh, the wave part is why you'll be important to the customer in the future. It's not like a band-aid that they use and throw away, but it's all some sort of aspirational goal of the the customer. So that's the first one is sort of line up with uh, an, an urgent wave. And the second is to pick one go-to-market model which matches how a customer decides to buy. Um, In the beginning, it's okay to experiment with multiple go-to-market models, but when you really want to scale and make it repeatable, you have to really nail one. And and so that's why we say you got to pick one. And there are many models, but the key is to have one which matches the customer's buying decision. And then the third thing that's important is the whole idea of having this one-page or two-page go-to-market playbook, which is sort of like a a blueprint or an operating system for the go-to-market team, not for the CEO, but for the regular marketing and salespeople. So when they come on board, they read it, they know exactly what they need to do.
1: Brilliant. And I actually really like when you said this on the stage, especially about the model, use one model. And I think this is mm-hmm. oftentimes in SaaS we tend to like experimenting with a lot of things and not really waiting out to see if the experiment uh, is, a, is a good one or if it's a false positive. And um, I think it's like, oh, it's not working in the first first few weeks. Let's move on to the mm-hmm. next one. Um, is there any way for founders to be able to tell Okay, this model is working for me or it's time to let go. let's try something else or is, is it all about following what the customers are doing and their behavior?
0: Well, clearly you look for you know signs there's like financial metrics like, uh, uh, and, and then there's also many operating metrics that you can look at as well too. But, but the main thing in terms of the model we find is, is that uh, it, it's important to match the, the customers' buying decision. And so if, if this is a case in which the customer uh, decision to buy something is through a committee of, let's say, four to five people, there could be an IT person, security person, all that, we find that self-serve doesn't work well. You need someone to sort of guide the whole uh, committee process, and that person is a salesperson. Um, on the flip-hand side, if it turns out that the buyer and user is all the same person and they have to, they don't have to go out for budget authority or anything, then self-serve can work very well.
1: Perfect. And and I think especially when it comes to enterprise, that kind of tends to differ from the more self-service, B2B, mm-hmm. SMB model, which probably uh, we see more, say, from our listeners or in... Um, in in the SaaS stock uh, world as well. Um, What are, for for those listeners who are perhaps not so much on the enterprise model, does all this that we're talking about, you know, the idea of the go-to-market fit, does that still apply or is it a more enterprise?
0: I I think these three things applies to anyone that's like selling for a business decision versus a, a, a consumer decision of, you know, something you just want to have fun with. But uh, if there's a, a buying decision, whether you're a small business or enterprise, you do need all of those three elements.
1: Brilliant. And then the, is the the third thing you mentioned about also this idea of the playbook and the mm-hmm. GTM playbook. Um, and I think there is always a bit of a two sides of oh, you know, do we have playbooks? You know, should we use playbooks? Is it not individual for every context? Are there things that apply as principles um, that you know, people can use as whatever their context is when it comes to a playbook?
0: So it, it turns out that uh, if you have uh, uh, different playbooks for different people, you just cannot scale. Mm. It's like having a soccer team where everyone runs their own plays. You, know, you don't have a, a unified team. And so to build something that is scalable, you need this playbook. And that's why I mentioned it's it's a playbook less so for the CEO, mm. but more so for the individuals that the CEO wants to hire, so they know what to do and why and so forth. Uh, certain, but there's common things in the playbook that's important, and that is is that uh, uh, the playbook needs to match the actual physics of the customer journey, not like what you use in Salesforce or anything like that. But uh, <coughs> excuse me the actual customer journey, and really try to understand what causes the customer to move from one stage of the journey to the next. And we highlight in particular something that we call wows, that something which causes the customer to say, wow, this is exciting, and all of a sudden to convert a skeptic to a champion, a person then to move on to the next stage.
1: Yeah, no, we it's there's always a the thing of uh, chasing the wow moments. I think we all we all need to, especially as the, as the SaaS space gets bigger. But but, you know, but
0: it's to actually find the wow moment, mm. and, and that many times the wows are not the things that the engineers or the product people are most proud of. It could be the simplest of things, but it's, it what causes the customer to like lean forward to start asking questions. You know, you can just tell when someone is like really engaged. And that's because, you know, that's, if you see that, then you have something that's probably a wow moment.
1: Would you can you think of an example of you know maybe one of the portfolio company or anyone you've heard sure. of finding sure. that wow moment?
0: So uh, we tell this story like at Mobile Iron. Um, mobile Iron was uh, is a mobile security company, and uh, the engineering team was very proud of having this policy driven, sophisticated uh, security and management system for multiple OSs. All that. Um, what was the wow in the company in the beginning was the simple ability for them to just wipe uh, uh, business information from uh, a, a person's smartphone and not wipe the, uh, the person's photos or personal contacts or anything. It's just being able to wipe the, uh, the corporate data. That's
1: and, and that's
0: it was actually the simplest thing to do. But it's something that customers really cared about at that time. Yeah. And and by doing that, then customers could deploy iPhones for their executives.
1: That's incredible. And exactly. It's simple. It doesn't have to be complicated at nope. all.
0: That's, that's right.
1: Brilliant. Um, so going back to that idea that we talked about at the beginning and this other major... Um, idea in the book, which is, you know, this, this, this idea that to grow, you're going to have to change. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether that's you as a CEO or your VP of sales, um, just the idea of change management and, and, and understanding the emotional toll that this comes with. Tell, tell us a little bit about this.
0: Yes. So uh, we actually split these topics into two books. Mm. So the first book is The Company Journey. And as you are alluding to with go-to-market fit, I mean, the major thing that everyone pushes in the company journey is how do we grow and how do we grow faster? The the second book is uh, the people journey. And the reason why we split it is that we're talking about the consequences of growth and that when a company grows, people's roles change, their jobs change, even though the title and responsibilities don't. And people have to change to fit the new role, or you have to change the people. So another way of looking about it is how not to get fired. And, and you know, that sort of, sort of has such an emotional appeal, it tends to override any other topic. And, and so what we wanted to do was uh, uh, depersonalize it a bit and, and have people sort of understand that, you know, more sort of like why your role is changing, how it's changing, And then from there, then talk about how it impacts you. So I'll give you a specific example. Uh, A lot of people ask me the question, uh, who should I hire as my VP of sales? Because, you know, an enterprise company, uh, you need to grow. We were talking about growth. And so you need salespeople. You need a sales leader. So it comes down to a VP of sales, especially if you have a CEO who hasn't sold before. So the question is, who, and they go, we need to hire a VP of sales. And and so it turns out that the ideal VP of sales uh, differs dramatically for what stage of the company you're at. So when you're at the beginning of the company, um, and and until you found go-to-market fit, the best kind of VP of sales is someone that we call like a Davy Crockett. Uh, a person who is like a pioneer, explorer, I guess not many Europeans may know Davy Crockett, but he was an American explorer who found a path through the wilderness. And so these people are not scared if they're not fully provisioned, they're not scared of hostels, they're okay with no map, they create the map. And and so once you have this path through the wilderness, you have go-to-market fit, then what you want is a a VP of sales who sort of unlearns being a pioneer and learns how to become a warrior leader, like Mel Gibson and Braveheart, that has no fear, even if you're outnumbered a 1,001, going after bigger companies, is that uh, they bring in their uh, close friends, the other warriors, and together they just go out, compete, and win. And, and that works very well until like you have like 50 or so. And at that point, though, for the company to really grow, the sales leader actually needs to unlearn the warrior skills. Has to really unlearn being a warrior and learn basically how to manage a lot of warrior leaders and be a sales architect. And a good example of that is like Dwight Eisenhower. You know, Dwight Eisenhower managed all these like, uh, different military leaders like Patton and others who are true warrior leaders, but Eisenhower was someone who never fought in battle. And, and so it's about not being a warrior, but learning how to be that general. And, and many times the, that person will then lose the respect of the warriors because they'll say, you've gone corporate.
1: Yeah, no. I, th- I think it's a, such an important thing, and what you mentioned on stage as well is the importance of coaching, mm-hmm. because it's easier said than than. Oh, unlearn this, you know, behavior and become this next role that you have to have. Um, and it actually there is so much ego and identity associated with, you know, that identity. I am the warrior yes. VP of sales. What have you seen or um, from, from the portfolio, from, in general from your experience as helpful advice into how one actually unlearns?
0: Yes. So, to be honest, uh, we didn't see very many things that were helpful other than the actual people that have gone through it before that would be a mentor. So unless someone has gone through this process. Um, we found that there's very little literature, there's very little things that people can actually go and read about and to understand. And, and so that's actually one of the reasons why we uh, uh, ventured on on this project is that uh, it, it's part of anticipating and to sort of understand how your role is going to change and why. And that's something that we want to write down. And we actually interview. Um, like a VP of sales have gone through it, a CFO has gone through it, CEOs and others, so that people can understand how and why the role is going to change. Because by doing that, we think it makes it easier for everyone. So now you can get coach, you can get help and all that, but you understand that this is nothing personal it's not because one's good or bad but it's just part of the fact that the company is growing it's
1: it's a, it's a natural evolution it's yes. it's like growing in, in height or in, in, in weight or your your hair going yeah. uh, gray i guess it's 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 the exact same evolution But I think it's particularly an interesting case when it comes to CEOs because when they're founders in the early stages, they're doing everything. They're, they're writing and they're selling and they're doing HR and they're doing payroll. And as the company grows, they have to let go. And I think. There's a lot of struggle there to let go and to trust someone else to do this. And for you to actually become the CEO that you were always um, uh, meant to be, do they have to prepare for, you know, again, in this foresight of, this is how my role will change?
0: Right. So, um... uh, uh, we use uh, comic book characters to sort of explain the roles in that case. So that in the beginning, the kind of CEO you describe—the the one that does everything—you know, does payroll, that uh, closes deals, all that—we uh, call that like uh, like Captain America or Wonder Woman. You know, someone that's like you know on the front lines, you know, throwing the punches, that kind of stuff. And then at the companies like around 25 to 40 people or so the ceo needs to transition to basically leading a band of avengers and because you know you want each vp to be his or her own superhero in their own way in many ways more of a superhero than uh, the ceo himself or herself and and then as the company grows even more that the ceo goes from being leading a band of avengers and really focusing on the avengers to focusing on the entire company and because and, uh, the, the size is much bigger and then you're talking about like Dr. Xavier and the X-Men you know the university and, and mission and culture become really important at that point because that's a way in which the CEO can sort of influence and sort of direct all the employees of the company without micromanaging the, the VPs and the uh, the Avengers, basically. And also helping the Avengers go through their own transition in this way as well.
1: I love your ability to bring a really interesting metaphor oh, okay. in all the examples you're giving, and it really helps to really uh, come, um, help the, the, the point come across. But what I, what, what you, in the end, we, we, we also talked about this at the start, you know, that idea of loneliness. And even as you have your band of Avengers, and even as you have your whole team, as the CEO, the, the role will always be a bit lonely, and oftentimes CEOs feel alone. And, you know, every time with the, with the, with these episodes of the show, we try to kind of talk about these things as well. Because yes, they're the brilliant stories of growth and everything, but the emotional um, turmoil that it brings, and especially the, the the weight on on founders and that that idea of loneliness. Um, I think it was um, um, it was someone who said this last year. It is. Uh, being the CEO of a SaaS company is one of the loneliest jobs in the world. Yeah. Well,
0: well, so I, I was a CEO of a company for two and a half years, um, the one that we sold to Cisco for 50 million. And the, the fundamental problem you have is is that uh, uh, as CEO, you, you have to have a split personality. What I mean by that is that externally, you have to be like Moses, and so that everyone believes that you, you know, he or she is going to take you to the promised land. But internally, you've got to be a complete skeptic. You know, you can't believe you got to be like Galileo, who, you know, was labeled a heretic, because by doing that, you can make the right business decisions. Otherwise, you drive the company off a cliff. So you have to maintain this sort of split personality. And uh, it's difficult to talk about it with others. Because if you talk about all the issues, the problems with the executive team, what's going to happen is that they're also looking for new jobs. If you start talking about all this with your board members or your investors, uh, they may fire you, or they may decide not to put more money in you. Um, and, and, And so there are problems discussing that, and usually after about two months, the spouse doesn't want to hear about it anymore. So, you know, you don't have the spouse, you don't have your board, you know, you don't have the executive team. So then the question is, you know, who is it that he or she can talk with? And and that's what creates this sort of uh, loneliness. And so one of the things that we recommend for every company and that the company should pay for is get the CEO, get a CEO coach that someone can just talk to and uh, just discuss these things. and Someone paid by the company.
1: Or or even maybe a therapist.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yes.
1: Perfect. Well, as we come to the end of the show, um, we always like to ask um, very personally to the guests how you stay sane and healthy and avoid feeling, you know, all the downsides of the whirlwind um, reality that SaaS companies and, and investing in SaaS companies can be. So what's your way of feeling sane and healthy?
0: Um, well, it's actually been two things. One is, is that uh, writing this book has been great. It's been a cathartic experience. And, and sometimes when I have a frustrating moment, I would write something, and then my co-author, Bob, would say, oh, you must have had a bad day. And then, you know, he would cleanse it and all that kind of stuff. So I, I found, you know, writing in this way to be very cathartic. And the second thing I would say is, you know, just never look back. You know, it's for human beings, you know, and we just, some good things will happen, bad things happen, but just never look back. I mean, we try to learn from the past, but no regrets.
1: Perfect. Well, on that note, Day Niham, thank you for being such a lovely guest on the SAS Revolution Show and speaking at SAS Talk. Um,
0: Great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SAS Revolution Show. And have picked up valuable lessons from Tehi Nam. And you're now better equipped to face the challenges of growing. Alongside dropping by the podcast stage, Tehi also gave a keynote on the scale stage, which you can watch in full alongside 40 hours of content we recorded during the conference. You can get the full video library through our Sastalk On Demand pack. Go to live.sastalk.com now. Thanks for listening. See you next time.